Welcome to the June edition of the Cinetopia radio show and podcast. I'm Amanda, founder of Cinetopia, and I am here with Jim, my co-producer on this uh, show. How are you, Jim? Um, I'm very sleep deprived. <laughs> <laughs> very sleep deprived. New father who continues to be a, uh, a sleep challenge. But, but I have managed to see some films. I uh, went to a couple of baby and parent screenings with my young daughter uh, and we're reviewing one other film which I saw many months ago when I had when I had time to do things like go to the cinema and go to film festivals so uh, so yeah no I managed to actually get a bit more in but just very tired but fortunately managed to get to the cinema a couple of times so yeah and it went well right you so you saw two two films in, in a week at um, a care well a baby screening so that they're 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 slightly different right so they're sort of for uh, parents um how how are those screenings yeah they're, i mean they're interesting i think they're good for when you had so my daughter's like just short of four months old um when i went to the screen she would have been about three and a half um months old and they're they're pretty good actually um i i have found out that apparently some of the multiplex chains do them as well so i think i'll probably just have to do a bit of a tour of the whole thing but the, the ones i've been to so far are uh, i went to see il buco at uh, the film house and i went to see one of the films we're reviewing today between the two of us uh, jurassic world dominion at the very recently opened everyman cinema in edinburgh and basically the idea is that you you go along but you only get entry if you have a, a baby under a certain age, it varies by cinema, but it's usually something like 18 months or one year or something. Um, and the sound is turned down a little bit just so you don't like burst little eardrums and the lights are kept up a little bit so you can see what you're doing. Um, you know, so if a baby starts screaming or crying in the middle of the screen, the idea is like everybody's in the same boat. So, yeah. you know, it's it, it, it's fine. Um Fortunately, my my daughter, she was uh, she was a little champ through both of them. Slept through about the first forty five minutes of each film, fed quite happily, and then watched the end of it, and she was fine, really. So, well, go figure. She's continue. a film fan as well. So, <laughs> well, well, she's probably one. She's probably one of the very few children in the world whose first uh, whose first visit to the cinema will be Il Buco, directed by Michelangelo Framartino. Yeah, art house but, Italian yeah. film, exactly. She can yeah, exactly, exactly. And of it. course, we then, we then, then, you know, went completely the other direction with Jurassic World Dominion the very next day. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite the pair to start with. Yeah, and I'm glad they turned that down because I actually just finished watching that film in a room of children as well, and I think some of them ran out, um, and I, I, I could have almost run out in a few moments. Too. So we're, so let's talk about the films that we are going to review on this um, on this episode uh, this month. Uh, Jurassic World Dominion is the first film that we're reviewing. It's a big blockbuster. There's lots of big blockbusters coming out, um, and I feel like it's going to be blockbuster summer for me. I've not been to many in 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 years, but uh, but yeah. So I just I I, I we are reviewing that film uh, this this month. We are also reviewing quite a few documentaries and the reason why is because it's the Sheffield Film Festival upcoming this week um, in Sheffield but we're starting with a film that was I think originally at the London Film Festival it premiered at least it got its uh, European premiere here and that is Canon Arms and the Arcade Quest a kind of genre documentary I quite love to watch um, directed by Mads Hedegaard and um, 
then I'll be joined by Amaya Benuelos Marco, who's um, a programmer and also um, has been on this program before. Uh, we'll be reviewing uh, Pleasure. The film is currently out on uh, MUBI, but in Across Cinemas, directed by Ninja Thyberg. And then we'll be doing a deep dive into the Sheffield Film Festival. So, right, we'll be reviewing three films that are part of that film festival. There's a ton of films. Um, it's really, really great uh, program for film duck lovers. And that's why we try to run something around it every year. And the three films we've chosen to review before the film festival starts, which I believe is on the 23rd. So that will be two days after we uh, sh share this uh, this podcast. Uh, it will be Swing and Sway uh, by Fernando Pessoa and Chica Barbosa. I Didn't See You There uh, by Reed Davenport and Midwives by Snow Hin a Hlang. And I also interviewed Rafa Cueto uh, from Cinema Attic, who's been on our show before, uh, but they have a really incredible program called Adrift. And I was, uh, I, I got uh, the fortune to go to one of their analog 16 millimeter screenings of Munchien Andalou and one of my favorite films, La Jete from Chris Marker. Uh, but they're, they're, they've been doing a program over this course of this month um, called Adrift. Uh, across Glasgow and um, Edinburgh, so we sat down and talked a little bit about that, and uh, you know their upcoming um, their upcoming other programs as well. So that's a sh that's a big show. Lots of films to review, lots of uh, documentaries to talk about. Let's get started. back. So one thing I must mention is that Cinetopia is doing a tour of our um, surrealist short film program with live music called Electric Muses. We did this originally, um, this, this program in 2020 when we were at the Lee Theatre and it was actually a few weeks before um, the pandemic hit and we were no longer able to do these kinds of things for quite some time. Uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a really wonderful collaborative uh, with myself, uh, Cinetopia, uh, working with uh, The Debutante, which is um, a feminist surrealist journal. Uh, they're, they're local to, Rachel and Molly are local to Edinburgh, and they curated a program of uh, short films directed by uh, female directors over the decades, uh, Germaine Delac, uh, Seashell and the Clergyman, and Maya Darren's Meshes of the Afternoon are featured. And so is uh, Psychosynthesis by Barbara Hammer and You Be Mother by Sarah Pusel. But the first two films, uh, Maya Darren's and Germaine Delac's, um, we have uh, commissioned uh, some new scores by two amazing musicians um, who are local to Scotland, Aurora Engine and Bell Lungs. And we'll be touring that in the, the month of D July, which is next month, uh, the 8th through the 10th, uh, in Newcastle on the 8th, on the 9th in Edinburgh, where Hidden Door just was with the residency of Pianodrome. So we'll be having a very curious and cool um, space there, and then Glasgow at the Britannia Panopticon. So I hope that anyone listening who's really interested in surrealist film and live scores and amazing electronic music uh, will join us. Uh, so you can find that on our website or, uh, yeah, a bit.ly at, uh, or bit.ly slash electric muses tour. And um, yeah, please join us for that. And uh, we'll be doing our networking, I believe the 29th of June as well, last week. So that's next week. So we'll be in Summerhall Courtyard for that. So 
check us out at either one of those things. Uh, but meanwhile, let's talk about the biggest blockbuster. Well, it's maybe not the biggest because there's like three or four right now, like out there, Lightyear and Top Gun and Maverick and whatnot. But Jurassic World has, I have fond memories of Jurassic Park. Uh, it's kind of my era growing up. Also, as a violinist, I had to play that score many, many, many times, uh, you know, in an orchestra. That seemed to be the one that they went to. So I remember that uh, quite well. Um, and uh, Jim, just uh, I feel like you will know how to explain because I've, I missed a few Jurassic Worlds, I think, in there. Or yeah. A few movies in between that I missed. So um, the, the, like you, I have a lot of fondness for Jurassic Park. I mean, I think it's probably... It, it, to me, it's the perfect example of what a sort of blockbuster film should be. Um, it was kind of one of these films that I associate with my childhood. I think I forced different family members to take me back three times. I think to date, it's the only film I've seen three times in the cinema on original release. Right? There's other films that I've seen, you know, and obviously there's films that I've seen multiple, multiple times, but I think that's still the only one where I've seen it three times during its first release. Um in the cinema when I was very young. Um, what this film is, so Jurassic World Dominion, I'm unclear as to whether there's a colon in the title or not, um, let's not worry about it, um, is the third and, as far as I can tell, um, final for now film in the Jurassic World trilogy, which kicked off in 2015, I think it was, as one of these sort of legacy sequels, right? So it picked up the Jurassic Park story and sort of it did that thing that a lot of films do now where it's sort of a reboot and a sequel right so in the world the film jurassic park happened uh richard hammond who found Jurassic was a pair of, like it is a whole thing they're like characters who who carry forward and that film did uh extremely well and i mean basically it was essentially kind of a, a redo of the first film it was a similar idea you know there's a uh, a theme park, something goes wrong, you know, there's a giant, you know, carnivorous dinosaur that terrorizes everyone, there's velociraptors. It introduces its own ideas. Um, what you made of those ideas, you know, probably varies by individual preference, but basically over the next two films, the last one was Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, and then into this one, it's basically taking that sort of thing to its logical conclusion. So at the end of the, the second of this trilogy, Basically, you have uh, dinosaurs in the world on the mainland. They are they are amongst us. They are amongst us in the same way that you might come across uh, a bear in North America or, or a shark or something. They're sort of like they're not things that you encounter every day, but they're out there. They're wild animals. They're dangerous. Um, but you know, people have their own ends for using the technology which has been used to create them. Right. So basically, the idea behind Jurassic World Dominion is to, you know, create a, you know, sort of like summer action film type thing, but to also examine the consequences of this. Like, you know, what what, what does this look like? What does it mean? Um, further further overstuffing the plot elements, really, is um, you have your, our main protagonists are Chris Pratt playing Odin Grady and Bryce Dallas Howard playing Claire Deering, who have carried through these Jurassic World films, Chris Pratt being the Velociraptor trainer. Um, you know, that was an interesting thing from the first film where he trained a pack of Velociraptors. 
uh, and Bryce Dallas Howard was one of the was the head of the park, a park executive. They are now living with Maisie Lockwood, who is a young girl who was created through human cloning, similar to the technology used to create Dad. I, I I won't lie, I didn't rewatch the second film. I didn't look up the plot for the second film. I remembered this plot element. Um, but her character's carried forward. I think that's it. I, I'm not sure how much of an impact it has on it. We'll discuss that in a minute. Um, and basically, the main headline thing in this film, compared to the other ones, beyond everything I've mentioned, is it brings back the original lead trio from the first film, right? So in the last film, you got a little cameo from um, Jeff Goldblum as Dr. Ian Malcolm right at the end, talking about what would happen in this film actually you know and the impact of that but he returns in this film um as does uh laura dern as ellie sattler and sam neill's alan grant of course um they were all in the first film jeff goldblum was also in the lost world the second film and then sam neill came back for jurassic park three and laura dern also had a small part in the third one as well um so that's kind of its main thing and they're off on their own little kind of quest at the side um with kind of, you know, a little bit of like, you know, corporate espionage going on, um, whilst Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard basically tried to get their now sort of, you know, effective adoptive daughter back effectively because she is kidnapped at the start of the film. Um, needless to say, those two strands do eventually come together uh, amidst lots of wailing and gnashing of dinosaur teeth, um, etc. And, uh, globe trotting in this case which i think is a bit of a first one for one of these jurassic park jurassic world films so what did you make of it there's a lot here it's also it's two and a half hours long which is probably right well thank you for giving me an overview of what i watched (laughs) yeah it's a it's a bit much it's a bit much (laughs) to be honest because i again just like the spider-man multiverse situation really didn't know how many jurassics were in between um but uh i was a little confused at the beginning and sort of assumed at some point that I was coming into the middle of a story because it seemed like everyone, you know, it just seemed like everyone, it it didn't really clarify why there were dinosaurs amongst people. But I, I realized that that was just sort of expected at this at this phase. Well, yeah, well, you, did, you didn't pick that up from the exposition dump at the start of the film in the form of a now this video. <laughs> the, the most inelegant. Like, yeah. I don't, look, we'll, we'll get into the quality of it. Like, I, I, I had fun with this film. Like, yeah. you know, like it was, you know, capital F fine as far as I'm concerned. But like the opening is just the most inelegant thing. Like, it's yeah, like, no, oh, I mean, let's I make a it... fake viral video about what happened. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I really did enjoy the the animals a lot, you know, sometimes the making them quite scary. There was quite a few moments in this film where I was frightened and scared and I felt like I was on the Jurassic Park, the ride or whatnot. And um, also, you know, some lovely sort of, you know, moments and stuff like that where they, you know, they obviously like make the dinosaurs feel quite uh, loving and, or they, they sort of follow the dinosaurs as well, you know, instead of just dealing with just the people and that, which I don't really remember that being the case with the original Jurassic Park, like you sometimes are just, um, so overall it was really long, uh, but it, you know, it, I am such a fan of Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum and also the, you know, like the original film, but I think they're just legends in general that, um, you know, I, 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 I got into the film enough to enjoy it for the popcorn movie that it was. 
overall, I, I had fun with this. I enjoyed it. Now, I mean, one of the consequences of um, getting to the cinema less uh, in whilst, you know, fatherhood is still very new to me is it becomes harder to insulate myself in the reaction to films, right? So particularly if I'm writing about a film or if I'm talking about it on the show, what I have always tried to do is to basically not read anything about critical reaction, not listen to other reviews, right? Not because... Um, you know, not because I don't value the other opinions. I go back and look at these things, but more just I kind of want to, I kind of want to form my own one in my own personal vacuum to a certain extent, right? I don't want to taint about that. However, it was very hard to avoid going into this film knowing that this has had a bit of a critical kicking. I mean, I think it is pretty much the worst critically received Jurassic film, I think, like even ah. more so than... Um, even more so than the the two sequels to the original, which I actually think are okay films. I mean, like The Lost World, um, I think really has its moments. Um, Jurassic Park 3, I'm a bit of an apologist for. I don't think it's an amazing film, but I actually think it's not too bad. What I will say about the Jurassic Park series, including Jurassic World, is I think you can make a case that it just has got progressively worse since the first film. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I and I and in that sense, yes, I do mean that I think there's an argument to be made that Jurassic World isn't as good as Jurassic Park three. You know, that's probably not a particularly popular opinion, but you know, I have it. Um at the same time, I think comparing all these films to Jurassic Park is not a particularly helpful comparison to make. Um, you know, we're talking about probably one of the best blockbusters of all time, directed by an absolute legend of cinema you know this is kind of you know i i don't know if it's a particularly useful thing to compare it to so going into this film my expectations were reasonably low um i have to say they were surpassed i had fun with this i think that there are a lot of problems with it um like like you i kind of enjoyed you know as you should in these films i enjoyed the dinosaurs i think that, like you know there's a lot of different types uh floating around they introduce some new ones there's plenty of callbacks in ways that are you know fun but i don't think are like egregious or anything what i will say is it does suffer from a lot of the same sort of modern blockbuster stupidness that some films do now basically there's one i think the highlight of the film for me is there's a extended sequence in malta right where basically this dinosaur black market is sprung up and you've probably seen images of this in the trailers and basically there's a big chase scene there it's very good in the sense that i think it's quite suspenseful and you know well put together i can always tell what's going on like i I think it's a good sequence my only problem with it is so the main antagonists for this chase sequence are a new type of velociraptor which are hilariously called atrociraptors (laughs) Um, I looked that up. That is actually what that that dinosaur was discovered has been named. So that is actually a thing. So the, but the other thing you learn from watching a lot of these films is dinosaurs have really dumb names a lot of the time. Like that's an actual thing. The only thing I will say about it is something that removes a little bit of peril from that chase sequence is those dinosaurs are always exactly as fast as they need to be at that point in the scene. Right. So. At one point, Bryce Dallas Howard's character has been chased by them on foot. Never quite catches her, 
right? Now, there are attempts are made to justify this and that it happens in buildings and going around corridors and it's tripping up on things, right? But it never quite catches her. Then she's being driven around in like a Jeep or a truck and it never quite catches them. And then right at the end, we're on an airplane runway that with like Chris incredible. Pratt zooming down incredible. It on a motorbike trying to get on this plane. I'm sorry, this is not much of a spoiler. It's very obvious this is where the scene's going if you watch it. And still these things are not quite fast enough to like, so which is it? Can they not catch a person like a, a single, you know, non-athlete woman on foot or it can't catch a motorbike? Like, which is it? You know, it's just, so whilst I appreciated that scene, the mechanics of that are are inconsistent enough to have you going right. Okay, so basically they're as fast as the film needs them to be at any yeah. point. You but know, and there are like, there are yeah. there are bits and pieces like that which which kind of take me out of it a little bit, and I think show, in my opinion, maybe a little less attention to detail than some of the better films in the scenes. So I really like that scene. I think like the going to the like you said the fact that you kind of take a world tour, like you're going to Malta, uh, you know, I, I think it was really fascinating. And it kind of brought me into this world of lots of different blockbusters. So like at first, when you mentioned kind of like the market where, you know, they're selling, you know, the, 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 the different dinosaurs and stuff, it had this little flair of like, the canteen scene in Star yeah, Wars, it had a bit of like a Star Wars, you know, yeah. thing. And then, you know, the start, the like the car chase stuff felt little Mission Impossible, or you know, like the you know the oh the Matt Damon films. And, yeah, the Bourne and films. The Bourne which, films. Or... Which there is an argument. There's an explicit call to when like because there's a famous scene. I can't remember. I think it's the second one, maybe the Bourne Supreme, or it might be the Bourne Ultimate. I can't remember which one it is, but the one where. Matt Damon jumps from one building to another through a window and the camera goes with him. Yeah. They do that with one of the Atrociraptors. And I've seen a lot of people kind of like rolling their eyes and saying, oh my God, like, like I mean, it's a, it's a two second shot. I don't think it's a big thing, but like, but, but no, yes, think- it kind of spe- it speaks to your point about kind of like it kept trying to capture the feel of a lot of these sort of yeah like and then you have to remember that this actually randomly dinosaurs you know like catching them like it just like it's kind of in a moment you're like what film am i in and mm-hmm. you know yeah suspend my belief was you know you had to suspend your belief to believe that they, they would survive these um these these and the moment with with it that you mentioned about the motorcycle onto the plane was just hilarious. I thought it was quite, I was like, we're just waiting to see how he was going to survive because it was just impossible. Um, so I found, I find all of that stuff the same way that like, like a mission impossible, you know, moment where, you know, like this, the train stops and it's right before, you know, mm. like Tom Cruise's chin, this kind of stuff is, I was scared quite a few times in this. Um, you know, I find dinosaurs frightening because in Florida, you basically, I basically live like with them in our, in our backyard as, you know, or at least prehistoric, you know, animals. Yeah. It was, it was a good, it was a long, I guess you got your money's worth, if you will, if if that's your thing. (laughs) Yeah. I like to go, to go to the length actually, because I do think that's one of the the major, you know, I mean, this film has a lot of issues, but like I had fun with it. I think what it does need is it needed to hack off a good 30 to 40 minutes of this script. Like, they, like there were at least 30 pages of this that needed, like, did shredded, frankly. Like, I think, I, I do think the last half an hour or so is a bit of a slog. I mean, yeah, you know, we've got, and something, 
So something. So the director of this film, right, Colin Trevorrow, I think is how you pronounce his surname. I've never actually heard it said out loud, so I'll say Trevorrow. So he directed the the first Jurassic World film and this, uh, not the middle one, but he's be kind of kind of the become the almost kind of the Spielberg type figure for this series of films. And with the greatest of respect to Colin Trevorrow, he's not Steven Spielberg. Um, and I think something that he does slightly differently, this is not necessarily an invalid approach, it's maybe just one I'd respond less to. In his series of films, a greater attempt has been made to kind of anthropomorphize the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. Like if you go back, if you go back to the original Jurassic Park, it's striking like how much Spielberg treats them like the like the shark and jaws, frankly. I mean, like, you know, the the velociraptors, which have become kind of the you know, the the terror upon which all of these films hang, actually. You don't see one for a very long time in Jurassic Park. And, you know, I mean, basically the first time you see any consequences of them being, um, you know, horrendous to deal with, you literally don't see them. Um, That is not what happens here. We've got, you know, we have a velociraptor that the Owen character has trained, which he has a relationship with and kind of interacts with. We've got... You know the the T Rex from the original Jurassic Park recurs through these. Like the, the, I, this is something which I didn't quite realize until a second watch of Jurassic World, the twenty fifteen one. But the T Rex that appears in these films, including the one in this film, it's meant to be the same T Rex from the original Jurassic Park. Mm. Like, I, and it's just things like that. I don't quite respond to because to me it actually feels like the opposite of what the original film was about, which is kind of like the, you know it was like it was the whole it was the whole like the Jeff Goldblum thing, life finds a way, right? It's it's meant to be, you know, beyond kind of like the big monster movie shenanigans. It's meant to be kind of like about the arrogance of man. You can't tame these things. You can't control these things. It's arrogant to believe you can do so, and it, it just it feels at odds with that original film to me. So that, like that doesn't sit. But I think if it kind of got rid of a lot of the other stuff, it probably could have hacked out quite a bit of the script. I mean, like, one thing we haven't mentioned at all is this entire strand about crop-eating locusts that only yeah. eat crops by from the from the Biosyn cor- that don't eat crops from the Biosyn Corporation. And that's another callback to the first film. The head of that is Lewis Dodgson, who was the guy who... Um, uh, Wayne Knight's character, you know, the guy who plays Newman Seinfeld, basically the guy who oh, right, yeah. tasked him with stealing the embryos, it's that guy. He's now right. risen to be the head of this corporation. So it has its little callbacks as well. Um, I think it does them fine. I can't help but think that if you're looking, if you're looking for this to be Jurassic Park, it it's not going to be. Yeah, but I don't it's think it, I don't be. think it I, I don't think it should be in some cases because I, that's too retro in some in some aspects. I mean, that whole the whole locust thing. I think the first thing it hit me, and again, I didn't see the other films, was Monsanto. You know, it's definitely mm-hmm. sort of speaking about a you know a, a serious problem we're having in the world in terms of um, yeah food supply and control and 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 whatnot. Um, and I think that some some bit of, of is it's about what can be done with CGI and what can be done with you know, with movie making that you can make, you can almost mix like the land before time and Jurassic Park together, you know, like mm-hmm. where you could have had this, you know, back then you had like the animated lovely little dinosaurs and stuff that you, that you loved. And then, you know, Jurassic Park was, yeah, like, like you said, you know, you can't tame, it's not about, you know, the death of the man to tame something that certainly was the point of that film. 
But in this case, I think, who is this for? I mean, it's for young kids. And so, you know, the more... Well, exactly. I mean, the, 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 this is this is what I keep coming back to when I think about the reaction to this. Like, do I think this is the best film ever? No, not even slightly. I mean, like, do I even think it's a particularly good film? Not necessarily, no. But I mean, I had fun with it. And I think it does what it's meant to. I, I, I you know, I mean, I think if you look at quotes from the director, I think that I, I think he perhaps thinks it's a grander and you know a grander, more meaningful endeavor than it maybe perhaps oh. is. I think there's a much better film in here, um, and I think if you gave it to a better director, I want to say, I think frankly you'd probably be able to get a better film out of here. Does that mean this film's terrible? No, I mean I had I had fun with it. It's not. See, it's not going to live particularly long in the memory, I don't think, for me. But I, ha I had more attention for this film than I did the last Bond, or honestly, some recent Scorsese film. So, like, it, you know, I it kept my attention. It was cheesy as all get out in certain my like lines and stuff, but that's what I expect from it. And you know, and and the dinosaurs were cute and scary all at the same time. And uh, I, I will take. I'll take your point on the uh, the last Bond film because the, the last few Bond films I've I've been reasonably cynical about in a lot of ways you and i are gonna have a fight on the irishman one day though <laughs> we are i'm just like to add that in there just, i mean I'm, I said, I'm a big don't think fan. i didn't notice that getting slipped in well there. also in throwing out i mean i'm not a huge fan of steven spielberg everything he's ever done you know i can i can but but you know i do think some i mean there oh, are yeah, classic, I mean, let's, let's, classic let's films. be clear he's he's made he's made some shite I mean, yeah. let's be let's be clear. The man's been around long enough and has attempted enough things. There are some of the. I mean, there are some films he's made that are absolute effing clangers, quite frankly. Yeah. But it's more, it's more kind of like that's one of his ones, which is an absolute classic in my book. And it's a case of like judging, judging these films, which. Oh, by right. definition only exists because of that film against it i think is ridiculous yeah it, it, you know so um uh, randomly we both agree that this is okay and you know it's worth a it's worth some popcorn and a trip to the cinema so yeah join just go if you want go if you'd like <laughs> and on to the next Next film we're reviewing is Cannon Arms and the Arcade Quest by Mads Herdegaard. You saw this earlier last year, right, Jim? And it's recently it's coming out in cinemas. Yeah, so it's it's getting released now. I saw it um, at London Film Festival last year. It was a it was a film that I dropped into just randomly actually because it was. Um, you know, there was a gap on my schedule and it, it looked interesting. Um, and I have to say, I was I was very impressed with it. So the the who it follows is Kim Canninarm, uh, I think Kubko. I don't really do it. My Danish pronunciation is terrible, so my apologies to all Danes out there. Um, but basically, he's earned this nickname Canninarm um, because he set a record for consecutive hours playing Gyrus. Which is a 1980s arcade game, um, his particular one of choice, uh, and he managed to play 49 hours of it um, on a single coin. Seems to be the term, right? So on one on one go, without um, without running out of lives, right? Because you can earn more lives as the game goes on. And what this film is uh, chronicling is basically his attempt to now play it for over a hundred consecutive hours. 
Um, and basically the um, kind of the ridiculous lengths that he needs to go to to prepare for this, logistics of how you pull it off. Because, um, you know, anybody listening to us talk about this will be aware of the fact that he doesn't actually play it for 100 consecutive hours, but basically he needs to be able to play it in such a way that he can take breaks and remain in the game so that when he comes back to it, it's still going on, right? So it follows... Um, it follows, it follows him and Mads Hedegaard, the director, he kind of inserts himself into this community that Kim is a part of um, and kind of centers around this place called the Bit Bit Bar, which has all these kind of classic arcade machines and different games. So we meet people who um, he spends time with, you know, and they specialize in different games and they have their own things. There's a guy who, um, you know, goes very deep into Donkey Kong, for instance, and, you know, various other arcade games I, I can't remember and have not been necessarily familiar with. Um, I've, I like this film a lot. I mean, it's it sounds fairly kind of, um, you know, it sounds fairly light and breezy, and by and large it is, but, like, there is quite a lot of stuff in here about... Um, community and building up friendships and what brings people together and like something that hangs over the film is kim's best friend um committed suicide many years ago like before this film was um was shot and basically he's embarking upon this record time it's kind of like a tribute to him thomas uh, was the guy's name um and basically the rest of the you know the rest of the community around this arcade bar um, take it upon themselves to be kind of his support crew and help him with that. And so there's a lot of there's there's a lot of heart in this film as well. It's not just kind of like um, gawking at the geeks. I mean, there is a little bit of that, of course, because um, like these guys are, you know, they're characters, right? And they they have idiosyncrasies and the ways that they go about things. Um, but I like this a lot, and basically it follows his attempts to pull that off, um, and then the attempt and everything that they do around it to try and make that happen. So I'll preface my reply by saying, literally this film is a film I came up with years ago that I wanted to do, but in New Hampshire, I was tipped off to a similar spot called the Fun Spot in New Hampshire that ultimately became part of the film King of the King of Kong, which came out, I think in 2007, and it has a similar sort of, you know, like deals with a similar kind of world. I am 100% obsessed with arcades from the eighties and those spaces. I think those spaces are really interesting. I think they represent sort of a space where people got together and like connected as friends and, you know, young people or whatnot and is lost. It's like the malls of America are dead. So like this kind of, you know, when you said, let's watch this film, I was like, of course. And of course there's this place in, what, in, in Denmark that this stuff is happening and, you know, equally very interesting, but literally the same plot line I had in my head, you know, with another friend of mine a long time ago and never got to. So I won't give away any of my other ideas for fear that they'll go. Uh, taken from our vast audience here but I have to say that uh well so first and foremost the bit bit bar in its multiple versions in this is on my list of places to you know to go visit immediately as soon as I can get the money to go I will because I mean what a lovely place and what and the montage of the of arcade games and sort of like the narration of that this is just feeding into the, like the world that I live in in my head. So like this works fine. I've seen lots of like BBC or 
American VH1 kind of shows about arcade worlds and stuff like that. That being said, I don't think that I was disappointed by this film, perhaps because and I, that's why I had to say of my bias of what I expect, what I've seen, what I love of this world. Um, I think it was well shot. I think the characters themselves as human beings were seemed like really interesting people. And I think that you, I think I kind of disagree with you, Jim, on how they're represented. I think there was an overemphasis on their, I think somebody actually, I think it was in the notes of um, uh, the London Film Festival where they said like, it's King, well, they said King versus Kong, but they meant King of Kong meets uh, freaks and geeks. And I felt like it was much more focused on the freaks and geeksness to get kind of a rise out of its audience of, but I mean, there were moments of tenderness, but I don't think they were enough when you actually looked at the story and the like the, the story of these people, some these these human beings are brilliant, you know, like one sort of figuring out. And yeah, I mean, do you think they were sort of dealing with the concept of mental health? And, you know, obviously, like you said, one of, one of his friends had passed away and they were dealing with that grief and, and whatnot. But I think that it, that tone of mixing those two did not work well for me. And I thought there was a lot of gazing at the geek um, in a way that, you know, it didn't like, maybe it was just the character and how much time they had to film Kim, but Kim seemed like a much more interesting character than what they were giving, get, giving him. Um, and I thought there was so much focus on this kind of hyper, you know, montage and shots so that we could feel like it was silly. And I, I, I kind of felt that was a bit immature. Like, I don't think they were trying to make them look bad, but I think it, it came across. That's my first I, point. I find, I find that interesting because I, I, I disagree in the sense that there, there is a little bit of a, you know, particularly when, you know, you, each of these individuals is initially profiled and particularly Kim, right? Which most of the film centers on, it does profile them as kind of, you know, oddballs. Um, which, you know, I mean, I mean, let's, let's be fair. And in this sense of, you know, um, people obsessed with playing over a hundred hours on one arcade machine, like they are to a certain extent, but I think, I think what's quite useful about establishing that is the film then does manage to undercut it. You know, I, I, I think in particular, a lot of like a lot of the, um, I forget the name of the, I forget the name of the game, but the one, the one guy who's playing kind of like the space invaders, the type one, that's not, that's not gyrus. It, it does get across like quite how skilled these guys are yeah. in attempting this. Right. And particularly, and then the guy who also, who um, plays Donkey Kong, like basically the, the, like the way his mind works is like kind of outlined and it is fascinating. It's really quite something. So I think what's interesting about it is it needs to set up these geeky archetypes in order to then kind of like peek behind it and say, well, actually hold on, you know, there's more to them than this, but I don't think it can do that without engaging at the level of, you know, these guys are, you know, they are oddballs. Like they, they are, they are kind of like strange guys in a lot of cases, and that's that's fine because of what then comes out of it, and it then goes into quite how skilled they are at this, 
how that translates into kind of like a fascinating way that their mind works and kind of the at the kind of deep levels of intelligence they have to figure certain things out. And then more importantly, and I think this is the main thing about the, the film, and I think it's important to note that the director had basically inserted himself, has inserted himself into the film, right? I mean, he's not, I, I can't recall any time where he's like, in front of camera apart from maybe one instance but you know you hear him he's there it's very obvious that it's very obvious that you know this is being shot i think the community that they then build out of this is probably the most important thing the film depicts but i think the crucial thing here is these guys are all very different what brings them together is this love of arcade games and the fact that they do come across slightly odd in a lot of cases and that's kind of what's brought them together around this kind of central community and they have created something really great out of it and it's not and basically when you get to the end of the film yes the headline thing is this guy's trying to play an arcade game for over 100 hours but what you actually start paying attention to is why is he playing it for 100 hours to honor his you know friend he lost to suicide who's helping him do this all these people at this bar in this community that he's created and this incredible support network um and it kind of gets to the heart i think of how things externally which can seem a bit odd and geeky and why are people obsessed with this why you know this looks really weird it kind of gets to the heart of why like a lot of the time it's not the thing itself it's everything that then happens around it, like the communities and the friends that you find as a result of your obsession with that thing. And I think the film did that very well, but the problem is I don't think it can set that up as... This is just my view. I don't think it can set that up as effectively unless it leans in a little bit and meets, you know, the London Film Festival audience, if you like, if I think about Windows First Week, at its level of kind of saying, this is a weird thing to be doing. It is a weird thing to be doing. And you have to be a little bit odd to want to attempt that. But it kind of starts to get into, and I think paints a very nice picture of why. Why would you want to do this? And I think that's that's the key thing for me. Yeah, but I, so I, the, I live, like I said, not just for arcades, but for subcultures of people who are doing things that like, and I literally said this yesterday before even seeing this film of, of people who excel at things that don't require fit, what you would imagine physical capabilities, like, you know, running a marathon, but being able to do this, the amount of, so, so I appreciate that this film shared a, a, a glimpse into this world and the fact that you'd have to go a hundred hours and conceive and concept, conceptualize how you would actually do that with the less men and more men and, you know, and 15 minutes of sleep and the kind of food and how, you know, that is a feat of in itself. And these are very, like a lot of actually was really interesting about the data and how it's connected to science, because again, these are very scientific you know, oriented people, they're, you know, they're creating these fascinating sort of, you know, like mathematical equations and stuff. So like, it was very clear to me that they were very smart people. I didn't actually get the impression that they were very different. I never saw a woman, I don't think in the entire thing. So I think they were very no, similar kinds of kind of guys. Um, and so, but I don't think it actually, I think it would hit us over the top of saying sometimes this is what friendships is 
this is what, you know, this is what the dream is and stuff like that. And that was the part I'm trying to say, like, I just don't feel like the tone for me, like I could have seen, I, I could have seen a little bit of Kim after losing, which oh, gave away something away, but you know what I mean? Like they're like the climax of this film, you know, it didn't, it didn't rest on him. I think it, it, the, the, the editing rested on the fact of making it funny because it expected the audience to find the quirkiness of these characters, you know, and what they do outside of it um, to be sort of silly. Like when we did Some Kind of Heaven, another film I claim to have thought of as well, um, there is a world, again, of people who, if you hadn't, if you didn't know about this world in Florida, you, you would find very, very strange because it is strange. And I thought that the way that that tone was, well, while in parts of it were quite dark, I think it handled some of, some of the serious subject matters that they were dealing with in a way that was way more fascinating in terms of tone, in terms of how, you know, and sort of how it, 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 it lent its view. Um, and it, I'm not talking about cinematography. I mean, I think both of them were shot really well. I think it's just about, you know, you, you, could, you could go on a Michael Moore or a certain type of role and say, all of these people are strange. And I don't think either one of these films did it. I, but I do think that that this one went a little bit on the lines of silly. I can, I can see, I can see what you're saying. I think it, I disagree in the sense that the silliness for me, I think was more targeted at the, the arcade gaming aspects, I think, than the people, um, you know? So I think in terms of showing respect to the individuals it was profiling, I'm of the opinion that I think it did. Um, and I think it did by getting into why they are so obsessed um, why they are so obsessed, how they are so obsessed with these arcade games. I think where, where it leans into the silliness aspect a little bit is the subject of their obsession, right? Um, and I think in the context of the film and meeting the audience where they're likely to be at, I think it did it an appropriate amount. Um, I, don't think it, I don't think it poked fun at the individuals. I do think it poked fun at the arcade gaming itself, which I, which in the year, you know, 2021, when I saw it in 2022 now, I think that's fair enough. Um, but, you know, as, as we like to have on this show, other opinions are available. Yeah. Well, I did really enjoy the moment. I actually really liked the moment where they, where, where they went and showed the person who, um, who came up with Donkey Kong. And again, mm. this idea of like the knowledge and the research that goes in, you know, it shows that there, there's so much that goes into be, to beating a world record. I'm not quite sure why you'd want to stay up 100 and hours, you know, to beat a world record like that. Um, like that's just not, even though I, I strongly believe in this story being told because it's been in my, you know, in my head for 20 mm -hmm. years. I, I think that that was really fascinating. I think it's a really fascinating, like, like opening to the world. And, it, and, and that story should be told. And maybe every decade, there'll be a great one. And maybe I'll make the next one. But I have to give it to Mads for, for making this film and, um, and showing me that I need to go to the Bit Bit Bar as soon as I can, because that's, that place just looks like, that arcade looks amazing. And we should have more of those and more of these places surviving around the world, as far as I'm concerned. So 
So that is uh, Cannon Arms and the Arcade Quest. And um, it is out, is it out in cinemas or is it going to be online, Jim, do you know? I think it will be in some cinemas. I, it'll be a fairly small release, I would think, but it should be out from next week. All right, out next the, week. Actually, no, sorry, no, sorry, the end of this week, actually, as we brought End of this week in cinemas across the UK and check it out. So hello, and we're back. And I'm actually now here with Maya Benuelos Marco, one of my uh, friends and colleagues with Cinetopia. Maya, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very good, yes. And uh, we're going to be talking about quite a few docs, but also uh, we'll start with um, Pleasure, which we both saw this weekend. It's currently, um, it was on Mubi and um, was on, it's, it's, it's playing in cinemas across the UK right now. It was actually playing in Germany a couple of weeks ago when I was there um, before, which was interesting. And it's, um, it's a film by Ninja Thyberg and it's a little bit of a sort of a coming of age Swedish uh, woman comes to LA to get involved in the porn industry and uh, wants to be the next uh, porn star. Um, and it's a really, yeah, it's a really interesting film because that's you basically watch her start her career, um, how she gets, how she begins her career. She kind of falls her, her into a house with an agent, if you will. I mean, this is sort of an odd thing to say um, in terms of, of, of that industry, but it kind of shows you a glimpse into the way that that the Los Angeles uh, porn industry works. What's really interesting about the film as well is that a lot of the people who are in it are actually playing themselves. So there's mm -hmm. um, like, a, like a director, a female director who does a lot of BDSM she plays herself and then there's a you know a super agent that uh the, the main character um Bella Cherry is what she's known by in this in film um you know wants to be part of and yeah I really I mean it, a lot of it we can we can talk a lot of a lot about what it, the film is actually about but that's the general gist right mm -hmm. so what did you think Amaya yeah I was um yeah, very looking forward to watching this film, um, just because, yeah, it kind of looked like it was going to give a different look at, at the whole thing around sex work. And as you said, it has a very classical traditional storyline. We've seen this story so many times in Hollywood films and films from other nationalities. So the idea of pursuing American dream and, and that if you have ambition and if you are hardworking, if you're a hardworking person, then, then you will make it. So we've seen this so many times, but the difference this time is that she wants to make it in, in the porn industry. And um, what I really like about the film is that um, it just has a very non-judgmental look um, at, at this industry and at, at the people themselves so I think the director has really achieved that um, and actually we see that through the different scenarios right so because this obviously she goes into these rough scenes that she wants to to shoot in order to to have an opportunity to move up and be the next um, I don't remember the term what was it the Spiegler girl there you go. Yeah. yeah. So in order to be the next Spiegel girl, she has to do the, the most rough scenes. So when she goes into that, that's that's a very tough sequence, actually. When, when she has to go through in order to, to make it. 
Um, so it's just for the people that haven't watched it, it's, it's, it shows how, you know, uh, uh, and that kind of scenes can become very abusive and, and the worker is in this case, the woman is very unprotected. There's no, there are no measures in place for, for her to be protected um, while working. But also it shows, as you said, that, that kind of director who's a female director and she's doing BDSM and she shows so, sort of more the caring and consensual way of working in the industry. So I think the director has really managed to show that and, that, and I thought that was really interesting about the film because with with this kind of topics right everyone's has an opinion beforehand and very strong opinion so i thought that was very interesting um then you know i to me beyond everything else i think it's an important film to watch because it's gonna instigate a lot of discussion and for me especially what, what I want people to start or well you know what I want the society to talk more about is about the workers rights in this case sex workers rights or porn actors rights and and that's really I think that's really conveyed in the fact that she has to navigate this world where she's on her own and she doesn't have really the back of her agent when when this type of scene happens um so I really like that I think that as kind of maybe one of the themes that, that the director wants to, to talk about, but also I thought that was really important to focus on that rather than the people's motivations to enter that industry, because that was really well made, I think, because we don't know why she wants to be a porn star. We don't really know much about her past. In fact, she makes a joke about like, you know, her father being abusive, but she laughs she laughs it off so we know that's not true and she actually speaks on the phone with her mom so so actually she's still connected to her family in Sweden so it's really good that they directly give away what are her motivations and what's her past if there's been some trauma or not and I think that's really good so we can just focus on the importance of just having workers rights the same way as when you work in any other industry there are policies and there's procedures in place why that doesn't happen in the porn industry. Even though at the beginning she's signing all of these documents, but there's not much around her own protection. So, so yeah, I think I think it's it's a film that definitely leaves you with lots of questions, and I love that type of film. So I think it was also very accessible, and it, there were scenes that were tough to watch but I think it's really well made, the camera work that it's not showing you any gratuitous sex or violence. And it really, the camera works really focuses on the actor who's fantastic, by the way. I think, yeah, we're gonna see great things from, from this, this actor. I think it's her first, um, it's also her debut. So um, yeah, I think it was really good, the camera work because it just really conveys the, the psychological, um, impact of, of the work she's doing and 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 just just what she's going through right and just focusing on 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 all the stuff so definitely you can i mean i don't want to see say this thing of the female gaze because it's been said so much but i think that's also something very interesting about the femme how like how can you talk about sex and how can you portray sex 
um, from a different perspective that is not focused on specifically on the act itself, but more the, the, the psychological and the emotions. So, yeah. So definitely lots to talk about, about this film. Yeah, I think, like like you said, I think this is the de debut of um, Sophie Winkus Loggins, uh, who was the main ap actor in this. Also, one of people who isn't playing herself. She's she's playing a role in this, where a lot of the the characters, like I said, are 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 people within the porn industry. Um, but also, I think it's the first feature film of Ninja Thyberg, which. Um, you know, really shows her talent. And I think mm -hmm. also just her way to embed herself within this particular world. And um, I, I'm not sure how, and what, I think there might've, I might've read that she had some sort of, you know, knowledge of this before. And I'm, I don't know all the details of, of that. But like you said, I think it's it's a lot about, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, so much about this, which is about the industry and the, you know, the, the diversity of what the the issues are within an industry, which is obviously so taboo to talk about in general, that these kinds of safe, you know, like workers' rights are not obvious. It's not something. This is the first thing you're going to think about. You know, maybe you're going to think about that in sort of corporate corporation like a bank. You're not likely going to think or expect that this sort of situation. And, and actually, you probably expect you know, this horrible things to happen. And yet to see different sort of aspects of it, um, I thought was really, really interesting as, mm -hmm. as well as you said, you know, it could, it could have gone into a romance and there could have been a love interest, but it wasn't about that. It was entirely about, you know, women within this industry and, and what they have to deal with in order to sort of make it or, or, you know, or, or whatnot. And I found that really fascinating. Um, I also found this really fascinating to see, like you said, at the beginning, there were these things that they had put in place in order to sort of make sure that like the organizations or the filmmakers who are making these films are not going to get in trouble. And yet there was so much coercion from the very beginning that was happening from the front, from people who kind of like, as you went through the story, maybe certain became, you know, seemed less um, of, of a problem or, you know, a problematic character as some of the other people within the story, where, like you said, there was, you know, quite a few, there were some really aggressive situations that you know that um the main character was put into that was really hard to watch and 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 also to watch her sort of navigate this and 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 whatnot it was a it was very hard watch in certain parts um but i thought that was just a really interesting thing that is a lot around i mean it's it, it's it's specific to this industry it's specific to something that i wouldn't i didn't know about but it's also something that's a universal in terms of, um, you know, coercion and, and, you know, the way, the way these things happen on, especially on sets. And when we think about, you know, just filmmaking in general and, and, and whatnot. So I thought that was really powerful because, um, you know, you mentioned that mother spot and obviously the mother did not know where you know her, her daughter was thought that she was in some sort of internship or whatnot and kind of, gave her the advice that pushed her forward, you know, to her career. I thought it was fascinating, actually. I really, 
for a lot of reasons, I thought it was fascinating, but I thought it was a really, really interesting film. So, yeah. And definitely on the issue of consent, um, I was chatting to some friends the other day and we were talking about actually how did the, it would be interesting to hear how the filmmaker actually ensure that while she was shooting this film, the actors were were feeling okay with the scenes because even if obviously it's fiction, still is quite, as you said, hard watching. So we, we know there's this figure of the intimacy coordinator. So I would imagine, especially um, the filmmaker, as you said, she she actually has some background in, in this theme. So her first short film is also called Pleasure. So I think that was sort of this film is sort of like the development of that short. I haven't watched the short, but um yeah, the, the, she, she explored that um, in her first film. And then actually she she was um, in her study, she wrote a lot around um, the porn industry. And then she, she went onto porn film sets as well for research for this film. So she's obviously very well researched and very knowledgeable and she's she's done her work in order to, to make this film. So I'd imagine that she she put that in place, but actually it'd be interesting to to, to learn more about how 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 she made the film and and you know if what what, what things were in place for the actors to feel okay because yeah the, the actor has to go through a lot. So um I would imagine that having an impact on the actor. Um, and also talking about, yeah, that sort of impact is very interesting what you said about the mother, because it's true, like, I think the film has this sort of general theme as well, which extrapolates any industry, which is the ambition, right? And, and, and how do you navigate ambition, especially in a capitalist world where, or, or especially in the arts in, 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 in our capitalist society, which is, how much do you have to take on in order to succeed? No, and in this case, in the porn industry, it's obviously very rough, very physical, very damaging to the body and to the psyche. But in any other industry, like just being an actor in a regular, you know, film, then you also have to take on a lot. And and it's interesting that the mom's um, sort of advice is kind of. You know, she's she's mean she's meaning well, obviously, like any mom. But you know, is is the impacts of that sort of idea of like, you have to be stronger. You know, you have to be stronger, and you will make it because I'm sh I'm I'm trusting you. And sometimes, it seems like parents or society doesn't doesn't allow us to break down and just to be vulnerable. And I think that's that's also a very interesting, very like like small tiny detail but like it kind of resonated and and yeah how you need to accept any sort of job or, or circumstance i wanted to ask you what you thought about um the character and how she's sort of navigating this sort of either being submissive or having agency i thought that was very interesting about the film as well when she's like no i'm i'm fine with being submissive but then as she moves on the narrative, she's, she becomes to, she starts to have more agency and what does that agency involve in herself, but also in the relationship with her female friends as well. So, so what do you think about that? The, her, her, the, the transition that she makes is not necessarily, you know, like a super positive one, if you will, you know, but she kind of gets to a point where, and I'm not giving much away, but I think she gets to a point where she gets, 
you know, she is ambitious and she does what she needs to do. And we see sort of a change in her character. You kind of see a change in her from being a very, you know, a new person, like this Mulholland drive kind of, you know, like you said, like sort of, I come to Hollywood and have this dream of what this is going to be to like the hard knocks of, of the industry and what happened. Um, I think that, I think, I, I think that there's a lot there. Really, I th actually, I thought it was quite powerful. Absolutely. There's lots of unpack because also at the beginning when they are speaking about um, the this clause in the contract, which is like, you know, there's nothing as hard as an interracial uh, scene. And that's very shocking to her, which, you know, her first reaction is like, that sounds very racist. And, and the guy says, yeah, because it's racist. And, and just just the, like I think the film very cleverly sort of stacking lots of things that are wrong in the industry the first one being obviously the denigration of women and the fact that you know for a woman to actually make it in the porn industry they have to go through things that are actually absolutely not okay <laughs> like um, we're not going to go into details but um, yeah just just really hard porn and um, and, and, and to me, the question all the time while I was watching the movie is like, does a man have to go through that? Does a man have to sign up for all of these rough scenes in order to become the, the next porn star? I don't know, maybe there, there should be a film about that, but it seems like it's very, very, you know, cut for, for the men to, to be, to have this active role and the women have so I think it, you know it obviously talks about that, but also all of the the, the racist um, treatment, you know, the, the, how racist the, the industry is as well. Um, also, what I found very interesting as well about the film is how it shows the influence of social media, which also remind me to this film that was on movie a few months ago as well called Sweat. It's also talk about you know, the, the sort of dependency on that for for a personal in this in the other film she's a personal trainer um so yeah i think i think that was quite interesting to see as well um obviously it doesn't dominate the narrative because there's a lot to talk um but yeah it's it's really it has a lot and, and i think the more we talk about it the more we realize there's so much to talk about in the film yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with the social media thing. I thought that like was resonated with me in the sense of how intensely um, reprehensible that space can be, you know, for for any woman and and um, and let alone you know someone who is trying to make it in the porn industry. And I thought like it was it was very effective as that as the part of as as a part of the story and the narrative and. Um, there's, yeah, like you said, there is just so many layers to it, and I think um, I think it's it's well deserved of getting the recognition that it is, and um, it's not an easy watch per se, but it's definitely an interesting one and one that um, I think we both sort of recommend. Yes, definitely. Okay, so check out uh, Pleasure. It's on Mubi right now. If you um, if you have Mubi or you check it out at your local cinema, because that's even better. So now it's uh, June and 
that in the UK means uh, the Sheffield Dog Fest is coming up. And uh, well, we're not in Sheffield, we're in Edinburgh. But the nice thing about uh, Sheffield Dog Fest is um, it's it, it's the UK's leading documentary festival. And as uh, Amaya and I both really like documentaries, we uh, program together, which we'll, we'll be eventually announcing again when we get bring back that program, we'll be putting together the doc program. Um, for Cenotopia Doc. Uh, we're very curious about doc um, film festivals or doc programs within festivals. Uh, you and I talked about, you and I went to Berlin and did a lot of deep dive into the Berlinale doc documentaries. Uh, so give us an overview of what you kind of think uh, is happening with Sheffield Doc Fest that you've seen. I really like the The program looks very strong this year. Um, is uh, separated in different strands as usual. So they have the journey, the debates, the international competition. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, like, I like when the strands are also sim simple in a way because it allows for, for a lot of discovery as an audience member to just kind of not be put off by a funny or like just very um, pretentious uh, title, but it's just like, you know, easy words that everyone can understand. I, I find that quite nice as an audience member. So um, there's been a few films that we both watch and we want to talk about. And the first one I like to talk about is the documentary, I Didn't See You There by Reed Davenport. So Reed is an American film director and he's actually made a few films before, but um, the first time I heard about his work was reading an article where he was talking about the difficulties he experienced as a disabled filmmaker in a film festival like South by Southwest, I believe it was. Mm. Um, so he, I think he had his film program there, but eventually he could not go to the festival because um, accessibility issues, which is, as, as we both know, working in film exhibition is still um, a work in progress and um, yeah, but anyway, talking about this film, um, I didn't see you there. Um, so this is a first person account of the director's uh, life in Oakland, in California, where he lives. And he's uh, filming from his wheelchair and he's reflecting, working as a filmmaker, working being an artist and um, while being disabled. Uh, but also he has really nice interest, well, interesting insights about basically what stems the conversation, what, what originates the conversation is for him to see a circus pop up near where he lives. And he starts thinking about the freak shows, which as we know in the past were a place where people that were considered oddities uh, would uh, be showcased for the public to, to you know, just, to, to see, to laugh at, and obviously it was horrible. There's a film called Freaks that uh, probably most people have heard about. Um, so that's kind of the example of, of what it was. So he's reflecting on that while he's also reflecting on his work as a filmmaker. Um, I, I love this documentary. I never seen anything like this. And I don't think it's just it's obviously very interesting because he's filming from his wheelchair. So in terms of the viewpoint, it's just very interesting, the camera work, because it's not something that any filmmaker normally does. 
But apart from that, I think it's just a very important film because um, it's, it really it really tackles the whole thing about um, the politics of looking being looked at and how he's reframing that gaze as well from from his point of view by you know filming from 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 the wheelchair but also obviously I, I think I don't know what you thought Amanda but I've I felt that his his voice is so strong mm -hmm. he's got so much to say and he's not deterred by by the the challenges he has every day and I, I just that was so well conveyed and, and I and I thought it was very moving and very powerful and I hope I think the title really embodies that idea so I didn't see you there is kind of like an apologetic phrase that everyone could say when they don't see a wheelchair user and they don't realize they're actually a blocking their way yeah but he uses the this this title as well to sort of um you know um, reappropriate that that phrase and, and and uses as a sort of um claiming claiming that space back and sort of highlight highlighting the the lack of visibility of of people like him which who who has lived experience of disability so i i still remember this this long shot where the camera work well the editing is really fast and the camera work becomes blurry at times and then the music sort of adds on that intensity and it's kind of showing you like how he's navigating the street on his own and obviously we are in, in the states where there's lots of cars as well and just kind of just seeing him going through across you know just pedestrian um zebra crossing sorry and 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 just like the, the how challenging that is and how stressful but also like people blocking his way and not moving and he having to say excuse me can you move you know and yeah I just I just thought that was really amazing the way he's he's made it and and um, I also thought it was very interesting, his conversation with his mom was he's talking about how he actually wants to start making films that are not about himself and, and when is that going to happen? When is not going to be necessary for him to talk about his experience as a disabled filmmaker? And I thought, I thought that was really, really interesting to hear because I think that's also something running in many documentary filmmakers that are like, talking about specific issues that affect them directly and, and how do you move away from that? When do you think it's enough that you said enough about it because there's been a change or, or, or if that's going to be your line of work? So I thought yeah. that that reflection was very interesting. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. What do, you, what do you think about the film, Amanda? I agree. I think I really liked this film, like to, just to begin with, I think of so much about it I liked, um, but I, I do think sometimes I'm cautious about personal narrative films. Um, and I think this one was exceptional. I think it mixes both talent and a really, a story that through the way that it was done really made you um, ex like, feel it and that goes very simply to the way that he filmed it through like a point of view of the camera and where the camera goes where the camera falls where the cameras what the camera sees 
Um, but also the mixture of, and I, I know, cause I know that Reed directed and, you know, and, and filmed this, but also he worked with an editor on this, the way that it was edited. I think the editing was really, really incredible. And, um, and I, I just, I felt, I felt very encapsulated with that. I thought it was very interesting, you know, his life story of growing up in Pennsylvania where P.T. Barnum and connecting that to the you know, the, the view of the circus, you know, that's currently outside his place in Oakland, but how, how both those spaces are very challenging for him um, as a, you know, as a, a disabled person. I, it, it was, it was really like, it, it was an, like you said, it was an important film, but it was a really good film and, um, and also a really good story about a, a creative artist, how and why they become creative artists, how they tackle that within their own family relationships and how they their family views that um but also the lens of you know reed being a disabled artist and a disabled filmmaker and i think all of those layers make this a really powerful film and but it's an exceptionally great film and 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 well thought out from mm -hmm. from the way that it was made you know i think you summarize it perfectly because exactly that's how i felt i, th I thought it was very experiential the way it's made really makes you feel that scene I was talking about I was getting really stressed you know yeah. like I could I could like it's as I was kind of experiencing the stress of crossing the street in that in that from that perspective you know and um and yeah as you said it's, it's, it's a film as well about being an artist and, and the challenges of that and as you said he's got the family on the east coast and he's actually it was really interesting as well to hear how he chooses Oakland because it's more accessible for him in terms of the transport in, in terms of the the layout of the city whereas um, his hometown um, in Pennsylvania is not like that and he'd have to be dependent on his family and being uh, moved around by car so I thought that was just just a great point as well about how even in the same country um, just there's no continuity around access um, like accessibility measures and that's you know that's not just exclusive of the states obviously it happens the same in the UK and I heard that as well from from people here in the UK with with um, access needs so um, yeah I think I think the whole how he's talking about access provision, but also from, from that perspective of, of wanting to be a filmmaker, it's just, it's just brilliant. And I just hope this film gets shown because that's yeah. the problem we see, like that's what we are both very enthusiastic about watching films at festivals because sometimes it's the only place where you can watch certain films. And, and um, this is the kind of film that I don't know if it's going to have a life outside of this festival and I hope so because I think it's a really important film and it's just it's just very interesting and and very compelling so it has you know a very general appeal for everyone it's not exclusive of niche documentary audiences if you know what yeah. I mean so so yeah yeah, it wasn't a hard observational film to watch. It was a really earnest, emotional uh, story about, a, you know, a, a, about a person, a, a filmmaker, a creative, you know, and and you really got to embody their life. And I agree with you that this is one of the things I like. And 
you know, wish that the these festivals had more access in terms of just being able to see all these films more often, you know, outside of just these, you know, industry film festivals. Not that, you know, it's not it's not accessible for the time and period that it is, but when they they're shown in certain festivals, like what life afterwards, you know, do these films make? And I think it's important to amplify it, especially in this in the case that we're doing right now, to say, you know, watch this film. Um, you know, continue to look out and support filmmakers like this because we're, I mean, I, I can't, you know, I, I'm I'd be excited to see the films that Reed's done before, but I look forward to, you know, future films that they does. So um, yeah, we're, we're, I think we're both in agreement. This was a great choice, Sheffield. So yeah, <laughs> we like this one a lot. Mm -hmm. So take us to the uh, next film um, that we both saw together, uh, Swing and Sway, um, also pe very personal as well. So we, we chose some personal films, didn't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Swing and Sway is, um, again, a very personal documentary. And, uh, but instead of one point of view, we're going to have two this time. So it's co-directed by Fernanda Pessoa and Chica Barbosa. And what initially attracted me about this film is that I have watched their short film called Same, Different, Both, Neither, which was premiered at IDFA a couple of years ago. And that, that short film um, was um, conversation the filmmakers had and exchange of video letters. So I'm very interested about this format of, of audiovisual letters. And I've been actually trying to see as many films in that uh, sort of subgenre, if you want to call it, as, as possible, just because, yeah, it's, it's quite, um, it's, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting genre in itself. And I think in the last few years, there's been quite an interesting, um, there's been quite a lot of films made by women when previously the sort of audiovisual exchange has been more dominated by male filmmakers and traditionally it's been more like an exchange of, of um, ideas around films and aesthetics but what I like about Swing and Sway that I have seen in other films as well by female uh, filmmakers is that it's a sort of exchange between friends and in this specific case, what is interesting about the film is that it's made through the, during the pandemic. And it's kind of a reaction of the two filmmakers. Um, they, they want to communicate, but they want to do it in a different way. And they want to, because they are both creatives and, and they want to, to communicate, but not through the usual forms of communication. So, what they do is uh, an exchange of video letters inspired by experimental filmmakers. And, and the film is visually very interesting, but what I found more interesting more than the, the images they choose to, to, to portray, which are obviously inspired by these female, um, these experimental female filmmakers. And I didn't know all of them. I knew some of them, so I could not be like, oh, I see the reference here, which I think is refreshing in, in some way, because sometimes you're just looking for the reference where I was just focused on their story, which was one of, the, one of them is in LA in the States and the other one is in Brazil. So they are just talking about their experiences in the pandemic. They are talking about uh, being a third culture kid 
they're talking about the political climate that they are both living in. So one in Brazil with Bolsonaro and the other one in the US with Trump. So that was very interesting because you, you can totally experience that they, they come from, from a place of friendship where they've been conversing a lot in the past. And this is the way to sort of keep that relationship going, keep that friendship. And um, I thought, as I said, that the, the, the audiovisual material serves more as a backdrop for, for the conversation, for the story, rather than like the material itself doesn't, like in, in, in occasion, it, it really works as in like it tells part of the story, but it's more the, the voiceover that tells the story. Um, and, and for me, what's interesting about this genre as well is, is how the letters are used as a sort of therapeutic way um, of, of, of artistic self-expression in a way. Um, because letters are usually like a way of, of, you know, you write and you pause and you reflect on what you're writing. And I think that's very interesting in the times we are living where everything has to be fast. You have to have a reaction straight away. You share things, whereas a letter is that sort of format that gives you a bit of pause and reflection. And I think that's what I found very interesting about the film because they are actually using this format for that same purpose, because I think we all remember at the beginning of the pandemic, it was, it was really exhausting. You had to be on the phone all the time, checking that your family and friends were okay. You had to be on Zoom at work and it was just really exhausted. So like coming back to, to letters that are old fashioned and just kind of more reflective seems quite like a political act in itself. And I, I really like that. Um, so yeah, what, what, what do you make out of the film, Amanda? What do you like about it or didn't like? Well, I, I, I somewhat agree with you. I think, um, I think the concept of this idea as just sort of conceptually is interesting. Um, and I was, I was saying briefly before we started talking that it kind of reminds me sometimes of The Five Obstructions, which was a Lars von Trier film uh, where he sort of took kind of a, one of his favorite films and sort of then challenged the filmmaker to go back to how, you know, remaking it in different ways and sort of using different sort of obstructions to, to, to create that. And so the fact that they these filmmakers challenged themselves to be inspired by work also during, but also the topic and the subject matter is very much their lives. Like you said, you know, um, going through a really traumatic period of all of our lives, but, you know, specifically where they were, you know, um, tra traumatic and intense things going on, you know, like being in the midst of, of um, you know, protests in LA, you know, and I mean, it, it, there, there was a lot, there was a lot there in that way. And conceptually, that was kind of a, a very interesting way to, to take that on. And there were parts of that that I really loved, potentially because they responded to sort of that surrealist or, you know, the, you know, avant-garde kind of filmmaking that I enjoy. You know, I love this one scene in the pool and I love pool scenes. So, I mean, I, I love the way that some of the stuff was shot and, um, but I don't, if I, if I was to be perfectly honest, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't have that thread did not work for me entirely throughout it. I think it was the visualness was all over the place, which was the point. I realized that, but I was very, I think it took away from some of the, 
the 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 letter correspondence stuff that we we were what that you were talking about that was that was so powerful and um and in in the that correspondence and that conversation was actually something I thought was very strong something that I haven't seen a pandemic like a pandemic film yet really address some of those issues in terms of how are you dealing with your family who might disagree with you or, you know, like, or going through this pandemic in terms of politics and, you know, and, and health and survival and, you know, and, and all of that stuff, like these things, these topics were happening in a really intelligent and interesting way, but that visuals kind of just, I think it just blew, it blew, it was, it was a little much for, for me to, to focus on, Mm-hmm. on the topic at hand that 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 was my impression because sometimes I was like whoa what's going on here <laughs> you know? I agree. and I think it's quite interesting that you, what you said because as I was saying like the letters serve as a sort of like that moment of pause and, and that space to kind of like you know okay let's take a break and and reflect and and just process things and then the visuals on the other hand were constant there was a lot of change the the there was I remember there was a very beautiful scene with very lovely music actually I was like I really wanted to know what that music was but then it lasted only a few seconds and I was like just stay there for a bit it's lovely uh, but yeah I thought I thought that too that it was just moving too quickly on the on the visual side um so so yes I mean it's this type of films that Sometimes, and again, talking about festivals and like the difference of watching a film in a festival and, and, and watching it at home and, and previewing it is that I love film festivals for the q and I'm just, mm. um, I'm a fan of the festival Q&As because it's just an incredible opportunity to, to really learn about the process, especially when it's of a bit of more of a challenging watch or like, or like a film that sort of escapes your comfort zone because I, I watch experimental films and artists moving image, but it's not the genre that I am most, you know, knowledgeable about, about or most comfortable with. So is is I feel this is the kind of film that um would benefit from that extra life element. Um but um on the on the on the other side is is it was still really a, a very interesting watch and and just I feel like now that it seems like it was, you know, it's only been two years, but it seems quite far away that start of the pandemic. So I, I actually thought, wow, we it's only been two years and, and all of this happened. And um yeah, it's it's kind of a strange to 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 get back to that moment and and actually remember those feelings as well of of how the perception of time. I thought that was quite interesting as well, how how they show that, how the days um you know, develop and 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 that sort of like weirdness and awkwardness about about how your day goes and, and not having a, a clear perception of of the hours and and yeah, it's just it's just interesting as well to sort of watch it now and see how we just at a moment where with us we're kind of back to like three years ago and as if this never happened you know and yeah. we, we didn't experience that and I don't I think we haven't processed still that trauma and I think this film as well is talking a little bit about the trauma as well of, of, of being separated um in the case of the of the filmmaker that is in Mex uh, sorry in in the U.S. she's 
she's Mexican um, originally, and, and she defines herself as a third culture kid. So someone that has been in different places and, and doesn't belong anywhere. So there's also that sort of process of, I don't belong anywhere. I'm in the middle of a pandemic and Trump is in office and my friend is like so far away and this is the only way I am sort of processing this. So I think that, that the film is also maybe it's, it's kind of in that way the visuals work towards the idea of we're trying to to make sense of the world we live in, which is very complicated at the moment. And we are still processing all of these weird pandemic and, and, and very tense political climate. And, and at the same time, we are all in a, living a traumatic experience, you know, and, and, and acknowledging that as well, because I don't think we have acknowledged that. Um, and yeah. we are still processing this. Totally. And like I, I said, and, re and repeat and agree that this is something that was dealing with something in a, in a raw and honest way that I've not seen yet. And, um, and really powerful, as you say, looking at it right now, as we're not, we, we've, we've come to the other side, maybe kind of not really, you know, and, um, and we're looking at what that was all but six months ago or a year ago or a year and a half ago, you know, like as, you know, as the time kind of goes forward. So, you know, was visually a little bit intense for me or if I was sitting at, a, you know, at the Sheffield Dot Fest watching this, I would have gone away, as, especially with Q&A, like really blown away with like, you know, just the originality and, um, you know, and, and the overall piece, uh, you know, it, the, those were quibbles that I have, you know, that are particular to my tastes or whatnot. It was really well crafted in terms of it, it telling that story, their story, but how it obviously we we all lived it in our own in our own locations in our own lives. So, um, I would recommend it. Yeah, me too. Great. And so finally, um, you saw Midwives, right? So tell us a little bit about that film. Um, and yeah. Yeah, so Midwives is a film set in uh, Myanmar and is focused on two midwives, um, one who is a Buddhist and one who is a Muslim. And as you know, at, at the moment, as as you know, Amanda, there's um, there's a conflict in Myanmar, there's the Rohingya community that um, have been prosecuted and um, displaced and um, it's a huge crisis. And actually, as you probably remember from Berlin earlier this year, the best documentary award was um, to the Myanmar Diaries, which I still want to watch because the directors are unknown and so it was all shot in like phone cameras and um it's by a collective so um yeah so going back to um the film i really like the premise of the film which is just focusing on two women who are um looking after um, women and children and regardless of them being Buddhist or Muslim so the, the premise of the film is just beautiful and hopeful and just an interesting again 
angle to maybe a film that we are going to see more and more, you know, like the kind of film like this, there's a few films about the Myanmar conflict. So, um, but to me, the film didn't work so well because it kind of felt too long. And I just felt it kind of its power. Um, but then again, is the kind of thing that I, I like to, to, to learn more about the director and the process. It, and what I know is that it was film over five years, so that's a long time. And you actually see so the, the Muslim midwife, um, she, she starts as a sort of apprentice assistant, and then in the end, she has her own clinic. Um, so there's a sort of empowering process. And there's, there's also like, it shows really well the conflicts they have in the clinic initially where you know they don't want the Muslim midwife to treat the Buddhist um, women but the Buddhist uh, midwife can treat the Muslim women so it's, it's quite interesting it's kind of a microcosm of what's happening out there and you know I am obviously very interested in this type of stories that are you know just following a specific character they're very character driven and but also focusing on on women and in a in 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 this type of roles that we don't see much in this case midwives or like a caring role and um i think it's a very interesting film but it didn't really work for me just because of the length of the film and maybe just kind of is is not visually as interesting um and just maybe the, the story doesn't really give enough for 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, very important topic. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll get, is, is this distributed by Dogwoof? So I would imagine it's gonna have a run, uh, either festivals or special events. So um, if you want to learn more about uh, what's happening there and the role of these women, go and check it out when it, it gets out. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully one year we'll both go to Sheffield. Let's make it a plan to go next year. Um, but this is us saying it starts in a couple of days. Um, you check out their website. Uh, if you can make it to Sheffield, do. There's a lot of free events as well as, you know, sort of industry passes and stuff like that. But if you can't make it this time, just, you know, keep, keep it on your radar and think about it for the future because it really does show the diversity of the kinds of films you'll get there. And I think that's the kind of thing that's exciting because, um, yeah, there's so many different kinds of docs we've done for with the uh, um, Arcade Quest as well, Canon Arm and Arcade Quest on this, and they're all so different. So, um, you know, it's it's nice to see a festival that celebrates celebrates that. Uh, uh, so so definitely check it out. Um, and uh, that's, that's us for the Sheffield Doc Fest preview. Welcome back. I'm here with Rafa Cueto, who is director of Cinematic. Uh, how are you, Rafa? I'm very good, very good. I'm very happy to see to see you and to hear you, Amanda. 
Well, it's great to see you too and um, and hear you. And uh, thanks for joining us on our um, radio show this this month. Uh, we talked to, to you and Alberto quite a few years ago about uh, yeah. Cinema Attic, um, you, you know, the history and whatnot. But um, I had just attended one of your uh, events of part of Adrift, and this is what we're kind of focusing on today. I really, one of my most favorite films, Chris Marker's La Jetée, and then Louis Benwell's um, uh, blah, 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 uh, why am I messing that up? Unshin uh, on the Lou um, is we're we're playing on 16 millimeter. It was a fantastic night. Um, so those who got to go uh, was it was incredible. But um, hope to see more kinds of events like that um, at, in play, in Edinburgh because I haven't seen events like that. So it was really great that you brought that. Tell us a little bit about this this um, this program that you've been doing for the last month, and uh, let us know what your inspiration was for that. Yes. Well, Adrift is a, is a program we, we have had on the table for many years, trying to bring films that don't find a screen space in, in Scotland, a, all of often looking at new narratives, new points of view, the voice of a, those who often are not a, able to show their films, like a native people, or they, 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 simply those who are pushing the boundaries of what is a documentary, a fiction film, or how you tell a story. Those are amazing films. The, 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 the day you, you mentioned these analog classics with Chris Marker and Luis Buñuel, that was a great event. Also because the format, you know, we did with Lydia Bilbit, and sitting down, very informal, uh, watch great films, great copies, uh, and it, it, I don't remember ever seeing either of these two films, maybe Luis Buñuel years long time ago, but in original uh, 16 mil. So it's, it's great, and as you said, we, we, we are trying to do more of this for the next season, but uh, that is only one event. We have had 16 screenings in between Glasgow and Edinburgh, and there are five still to come to this weekend, the 18th and 19th in Edinburgh, we have a couple of collections of alternative experimental, a bit radical experimental <laughs> short films in Edinburgh, all samples at CCA in Glasgow. And then we have one more uh, screening of our new venture, which is the Craig Miller Film Club which is kind of informing our commitment to EDI, you know, equality, diversity, and inclusion. So yes, busy, busy end of the season. We have the good friends of PDA, Mario Torrecillas and company in Hill Park in Glasgow, two weeks workshop, making a film with the kids, making them reflect on the concept of community, what they like, what they dislike, what they could do to, to change it. And we have Elena Duque, it's a privilege coming on Friday for a three-day workshop in our Craig Miller Film Club. And with all that, we'll finish by the end of the month and we can go for a wee break until <laughs> the season. Yeah, absolutely. So, but you like you said, you've had lots of workshops. So, um, and, and it, so it's a lot more interactive than just a film festival, you know, uh, for a weekend and it's over a month. 
I think both Cinema Attic and Cinetopia kind of share a similar interest in sort of regular programming or programming across certain periods of time versus just one weekend. That's um, what, yes. you know, why, why do you sort of, what is that part of your ethos or, or, or whatnot is, is how, how you program, right? Yes, yes. Well, there are different reasons. I, I, I was talking to Paul Gallagher, the programmer at the GFT, not long ago, and I said, well, cinematic is like a cinema, but without a postal address. So we, we, we like that being busy and having a regular uh, program going on. It helps, I think, some festivals struggle to keep the audience and the membership from one year to the other. So they kind of are very active six weeks or even less a year, and then they, they need to rebuild that interest, that momentum the year after. So we sort of try to avoid that. Cinematic was always, and it has always been for the last, it's nearly 14 years now, the regular short film program that we do in different places, pop-up cinema, really relaxed, uh, non-stressful, welcoming, event of short films from Ever America. Then we have one retrospective that is called the Catalan Film Festival, now in its eighth edition, which just happens along two or three weeks. And we have this, um, well, uh, outreach, new audiences, efforts, which will be our workshops, our Greg Miller Film Club, uh, we are taking a different approach in Glasgow. We are uh, using the GFT with a with a partnership, great partner to have to bring different schools like Hill Park to watch films there. And that is aimed at obviously getting different groups of in our society, those are less represented, to, to join, to, to, to come and through cinematic be able to express and to talk to the, their own people. Uh, finally, we have a drift, which has a mushroom <laughs> in our timeline. Traditionally, we will have very few events between May and June, and by the 10th of June, the 10th of June, we will have finished the season. But uh, we, we wanted to, to launch it. There were a few films that were really crying to come out. Uh, Los Silencios, Los Conductos, uh, well, this amazing Indian film, the a night of knowing nothing, the Carajalde documentary, Skirlas, Splinters, so much, so many films that really mean a lot to us, and for necessity they don't find distribution in Europe or in, in Scotland at least. So, has been a great effort, a bit of a exhausting one, but really watching films of double bills in, in Summer Hall were very welcome. A piece of advice to other programmers of cinema, don't put an event on the day of the final of the Champions League. <laughs> yes. I'm not too sure what was that, but it does, <laughs> you cannot win against it. But other than that, it was very well attended. Even sunny days in Glasgow, the, the GFT, we had two screenings and we have nearly 30 degrees outside. And still we got a, a great number of people to come to see Sacred Spirit and to see Sprinters as well. 
So it's been a great, great experience. And so far, we, we are looking forward to reschedule it for next year. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great effort by the whole team from Alberto, which is still in Barcelona, programming for cinematic, and Anna Fedushina, Sam Bennett, Tom Summers, um, obviously Clara, and so many others, including me, <laughs> to, 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 to making this happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, again, I think we share, um, even though you're doing Ibero-American sort of programming and focus, I think we share a very interest in different kinds of genres. And I think that's how, and different forms and documentaries and, and sharing um, films that wouldn't often come to Scotland um, and bringing them. So um, I, I really see that in your programming consistently. And it really, it's, a, it's also just a lovely event to go to. I always think a cinematic is a fun time there's either food drink 60 millimeter projectors gramophone something there that's that's unique and pop pops up in your neighborhood um so you're after a drift then do you have some upcoming plans that you want to share or are we saving them yes, for yes. Yeah. there are lots of plans uh, certainly we, we we keep with the i mean with lots of plans the, the first and biggest one is to break up for the summer holiday. <laughs> I think uh, our kids have every right to, to have a memory of their parents, <laughs> their father and mother as a young kid and catch up with, with sleep, catch up with programming, catch up with a, a few things. So traditionally, July and August, we are, we are closed for events. We are working in the office and we will be back in September for definite with our uh, short film nights. We are programming quite a lot of analog uh, activity, uh, screenings, workshops, and everything for next year. See if we can lift uh, up a bit of an analog film club in Scott, in Edinburgh at least. Um, we we pro, the, the Catalan Film Festival has been decided that we'll go till uh, to the next year to January and February just because we have this uh, footballistic thing happening at the end of the year again, and clearly we cannot beat it, not yet. And other than that, there's a few titles already in the list for a drift that will be spring, summer 2023. And yeah, enjoying, enjoying a bit of this. Uh, it's been a good year, it's been a long year, it's been a still the year of the restrictions and yeah. a few problems and they tend to convince people that a cinema is a safe place or it's a lot safer than that other activities like a pub or a supermarket. And slowly, 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 we are seeing people we haven't seen for a long time. And um, I hope that is the trend. Now we have the summer coming. We have the Edinburgh Film Festival. I'm looking forward to that. We have the Edinburgh International Festival, the Fringe all that overdose of events every day is coming up to Scotland again. And I hope that breaks the lads resistance and then make people understand that they, 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 we are social animals and we need to gather and discuss. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And as you said, it's good, it's good for us to take a break in August and enjoy when the world comes to Edinburgh and at least be able to kind of explore what else is out there and take, take a little break off of our own programming. I'm really excited about this analog film programs, analog film club. I will certainly be a member of such and whatever <laughs> that is. Um, I'm very excited to, 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 to hear more about it as it comes. Rafa, always really great to chat with you. Thanks so much. And just remind um, our audience uh, that this will be uh, will be airing this on, on Tuesday, the 21st. So this will be the last weekend of Adrift. And what events should they go see and how can they find out about them? The best thing is to go to our website um, and check it up. Cinematic, two A's, two T's, .com. Um, by the 21st, I think we will be over in Edinburgh. No, we will have one last, uh, the 29th, we will be in Craig Miller Film Club. And that will be a free event. And it will be Kimuak, our collection of Basque uh, short films. Um, those who, who came last time, they found a cinematic event under a completely different yeah. audience and premises. So. I hope we, 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 we will welcome everyone to come there. Also, we will be in CCA for a couple of days with an amazing couple of, well, it's one program of experimental short films that is split into two, two days. And yeah, that's CCA. I don't remember the dates right now. It's 27, 28. <laughs> Check it. So many events, too many Check things. Check it in the website. Yeah. yeah. All right. So cinematic.com correct? Yeah. Right. Yep. Yes. Okay. So check it out and also look out for some, for all your future plans um, coming up in the autumn. So thanks again, Rafa. See, talk to you soon. Thank you. A pleasure always. Good luck. show so a big thank you to Rafa for being here and again check out Adrift I think it's this last weekend this weekend with Cinema Attic in Glasgow and a huge thank you to Amaya for joining us for um, for reviewing the Sheffield Film Festival and Pleasure as we mentioned Sheffield Film Festival is happening in a few days and I have to put that plug out there for if you like surrealist film and electronically scored music um, because we have a great program coming for Newcastle, Edinburgh and Glasgow with Electric Muses. I'm really excited about that program and I'm really excited about the collaboration that we put together for that. So check that out as well. Jim, thanks again for being here. Um, do you have some exciting plans film-wise uh, uh, this month? Uh, I just try and try and continue getting to the cinema really i know like these baby baby and carer screens i mean that's like godsend in that in that sense so i'll try and get to another couple but um we'll see because i'm actually going to be in the united states for um three weeks in july so i don't know if i'll be able to yeah to get to much at that point but you know i don't really just trying to watch films because with a now four month old baby it continues to be a challenge it's a challenge that i'm occasionally managing to <laughs> succeed at but it's a challenge and yeah, well, and uh, we will see you next time then. Um, or if we don't see you next month, then we'll see you the following month. And thank you so much uh, for joining us. Um, if you want to uh, 
follow us on we're at Centopia Hub at on Instagram at Centopia on Twitter at CentopiaShow.com. Uh, check us out and there, and also uh, see you next month.